Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Masked Llama, Andrew Liguori, Retro Overdrive, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Diskimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the latest episode of Retro Hangover. Hello, retro and classic gamers. Welcome to the podcast where deciding decadence dying dystopically during digital disillusionment. Welcome to Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copline, with Nintendo host, LP Tiger. And, as always, your host, Shane. Disappearing Dick Doge I like the idea of being a, a ninja doge. I could get behind that. Ninja doge. Or it's just disappearing doge and all the doge disappear and become worthless. No. By the way, welcome back to the show, Tiger. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I'm happy to be part of the intro that said the word doge. <laughs> <laughs> to the moon, right? Yep. <laughs> nothing but nothing but parabolic. We're already off the rails. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Less than a minute. It's impressive. It's a, new, it's a new record. But it is nice to have you back, Tiger. It's been a minute. Uh, but I know that your life situation has changed quite a bit where you have, I think you said you've had a little bit more free time to swing by and, and join us now. Man, I was I was such, uh, what's the word? Um, naive? Naive is the word. <laughs> uh, because the idea is, when you leave your nine to five, 40 hour a week job for those that have that, you know, you envision much time and uh, laying by the pool or the fire or whatever you're going to lay by, you know, enjoying <laughs> life. You the know, fire and then you want to do that thing on the side that you that was on the side, but now it's the main thing. And, and what what ends up happening is that I've heard a lot of TikToks about this. You know, for those of you that know TikTok, you know, we're all in our 30s, I assume. Uh, but uh, what is it? It says, I used to have a nine to five, but then I started my own business. Now I work 24 seven. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, that's, that that's right. been my life. But the best part about working 24 seven is I can take time to do whenever, whatever, whenever. So here I am and I'm happy to be back. Thank you. <laughs> So today's topic is a Patreon poll, and this it's not a game. This actually harkens back to our very first episode of the podcast, which it has to do with digital gaming. I think the topic precisely that was on our Patreon poll is like the dystopic 
future of digital gaming. Yes, and so the, it wasn't the the digital dystopia, I believe. Yes. Yeah, digital dystopia. So it wasn't a very optimistic view. But we'll get to what we think. And I understand why that view is prevalent, and I know that will be discussed as we get through the episode. But is it really that dystopic? We'll see. Uh, I also have been frequenting other podcast servers where I have been running into listeners. And by the way, if if you're in other servers, if you don't want to join our Discord server, that's fine. I, I understand. There, you don't want to just join a server to join a server. But we are open to everybody. So if you do enjoy the show, you know, go to our, go to our link tree which is linktr.ee slash retro hangover, and you can join our Discord. But I was told that in our description, it said that there's beer, and they were disappointed that there is no beer. They're like, <laughs> where's the beer? Well, I am happy to inform you that today I'm drinking natural light, the, the beer of beers. Wow. It's not the champagne of beers, because that, that would be Miller High Life. So oh, maybe man. I'll have Miller High Life next time. We've fallen a long way. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... We, we, we started this show with with actual beers on, I think, every episode. And not only that, but they were they were fancy pants, locally craft micro brewed bullshit. And now now we've now we're at Natty Light. It's the way of things. <laughs> I was going to say that was my beer of choice at 21. Yeah. <laughs> when I had less sense, that was what I drank all the time. <laughs> Now I have more sense, and now I drink Miller Life. <laughs> yes. It's a champagne. No, that's Miller High Life. Oh, true. That's the High Life, yeah. Yes. High uh, Life. But getting to what we are want to do, mm. we're, we usually talk about the games. In fact, we always talk about the games that we have been playing recently on our show before we get into the topic du jour. So, Tiger, because you have been gone for such an elongated time, you are our special guest uh, and Nintendo host. So, what have you been up to lately? What have you been playing? You almost scared me because I thought you had didn't you stopped doing it. So I was like, oh no, what am I going to talk about? Uh, <laughs> so, anywho, uh, so I've been playing Triangle Strategy on the Nintendo Ooh. Switch. Oh, uh, in my in my spare time, which I you know which I have here and there, um, I've been playing that game, and I absolutely love it. Uh, I, I tend, I have a very special place in my heart for 16 bit, specifically JRPGs, uh, that remind me of my time with Final Fantasy 2 and 3 on the Super Nintendo, uh, of course, 4 and 6. And, uh, this, this one is a strategy based RPG, so people would compare it more so to Final Fantasy Tactics, um, cause it's like, it has the whole chess layout. Um, it has the whole HD 2D thing going on, so that's really cool. Uh, the story is super, uh, super deep. When I say deep, there's a lot of story. So let's just say, like, I played like the first hour, and I don't believe I did any battle scene for that hour. <laughs> I I might be exaggerating, but like that's how that's how much triangle strategy <laughs> is voice acting and dialogue as opposed to how much is actually gameplay battling. So I would I would all I could easily say like 70% story voice acting and then the rest is the gameplay. Uh good or bad, it's whether or not you care about the story. And I and I really like the story, so 
Oh, that's good at least. Yeah, I've I've been in it for about 17 hours and it it makes a really good kind of like pick up and play and then, you know, for like half an hour or an hour because you you hit a lot of uh midpoints where you can choose to progress the story, choose to choose a side quest and um I really like it. I'm really enjoying it. So, uh you you had a fear there? <laughs> what? I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, well, no, you were just mentioning the, the, yeah, the, the extended exposition. And it was one of the things that I pointed out of, I, I started, I fired up, uh, Radiant Historia, um, on my 3DS and cause I picked it up on one of the sales they're doing since I was, you know, <clears throat> starting to panic buy a bunch of, uh, digital games from the eShop, <laughs> which is, Hey, <laughs> has to do with what we're talking about today. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I picked that up and started playing it. And, um, I think I'm, I've only played it for like maybe two hours. I haven't had a lot of time to j- sink into it yet, but of that time, I think I had one battle like a tutorial <laughs> battle and the rest of it has just been nothing but talking right. and like granted. And this is what I, I mentioned this when I was talking about this earlier, like all of it is voice acted and it's, it's well done, which is definitely a bonus. I'm just like, I like story, but, but also I'm just sitting there and I start to get to a point where I'm just like, I really just want to skip through all of this because I want to actually play the game. So hmm. I'm not sure how you I feel about that because like I, think, I wanted to like triangle triangle strategy because it sounded like something I'd be into. I think the game that you chose, Radiant Historia, is exactly kind of a good parallel to triangle strategy. I played Radiant Historia. I, I absolutely love it, but again, you have to be into the story and it and the gameplay. Like there, I don't you. I don't know if you got into the point where Radiant Historia has like a timeline and it shows you the routes you could have taken um triangle yeah, strategy I just started that yeah gotcha triangle strategy does that exact same thing so you you uh, eventually run into choices okay you have to select them and then it, it takes you down one path but you can also see that you could have went another path mm-hmm. and that changes the story up so that's the other part i didn't mention but yeah radiant historia has some similarity to that so that's a good comparison hmm Okay. Yeah. So that's the only game I've really been playing. Uh, oh, and Splatoon too. I just kind of got a ra- random kick recently, but you know, I don't. Uh, there's nothing to talk about. You you shoot ink. You become a squid, and it's fun. I yell at the TV. You know, mm. that's what happens in competitive gaming. True. But, <laughs> oh, and and regarding the story, like I do understand about like wanting to just oh, play the too? game. No, 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 no. Back. <laughs> I'm, I'm jumping all around. Yeah, yeah. Like I am. In Splatoon. I'm a but, squid now. <laughs> I'm a kid now. I'm a kid now. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Shane. Mm. What have you been playing, my friend? Well, you know, I, I, I think this time around it, it might actually be less about what I have been playing and more about what I haven't been playing. I don't know if anybody, I suppose if you've been listening to the show long enough, you probably remember there was one particular episode where I talked about how I finally divested myself of my uh, Dissidia Opera Omnia Final Fantasy mobile game uh, addiction problem. And uh, so actually, as of today, as the time of the recording of this episode, I uh, decided it was time to finally go ahead and purge the three or four different mobile RPG games that I have now accumulated on my phone. 
because I was just spending a lot of time doing like daily quests and all of that garbage every day in like four different games. And I was like, all right, you know what? This is enough is enough. Um, which is interesting because I, I don't actually know who mentioned it. I'd have to go back and look. Maybe Chris remembers, but somebody pointed it out very recently in our discord, um, saying like, you know, it's weird that Shane is the one that seems to complain about not having the time to play all of these games when Chris is the one that historically has been into the long ass JRPGs, uh, which is a good point. And, uh, the answer to that question is, uh, is this part of the reason that I never have time to like play other games is because a lot of my free time gets eaten up with these fucking gotcha pun mobile <laughs> RPGs that I get myself sucked into. So uh, I decided today that that was enough. And so we're not doing that anymore. So they are all uninstalled <laughs> and I feel pretty good about it. So uh, yeah, probably going to be spending some more time trying to catch up on some other backlog stuff. But other than freeing myself from the, the gotcha hell, um, most of my time still still sticking with Elden Ring. I've got something Shocker. like... 98 hours yeah 97 and change according to steam and uh i i've still got a pretty decent chunk left to go so i've still been thoroughly enjoying my time with that one um and there's been kind of a smattering of some other ones i'm catching up on the latest patch of vampire survivors because they keep updating pretty regularly um hopefully in, in anticipation of the full release so that game's pretty fun spoilers we'll also be having a full episode uh guided bonus episode on that um being recorded shortly after this as a matter of fact but yeah that's that's pretty much it for me right now um i need to go take a look at some other things that i want to start playing um, plus we've got a couple of things for the show that i start i need to start like checking out for our upcoming episodes so but uh what about you chris what, what have you been up to lately Oh, well, first of all, I got a new 2DS XL courteous of Tiger's new job. And when oh. I say courteous, I don't mean like he gave it to me. It means like <laughs> I cried getting a new one because my <laughs> son kind of broke his old 3DS XL. Ah. And by the way, totally didn't know that it was common. Like I, I used to be so mad at my kid. Like I, like I, I don't beat children, but it crossed my mind. I'm just kidding. I, I really didn't. But um, that's not even a good joke. I'm horrible. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I don't I know what to do now. <laughs> so uh, the 3ds XL apparently the hinge on the right side, it always like breaks. Not always breaks, but it's a very common problem that it, it breaks off little pieces and it causes the top screen to flop around. Mm. And I've already had this repaired and I was so mad at him. I'm like, how could you break this? Uh, so I had to go get it fixed and it cost quite a bit to get it fixed because it's one of the limited editions, which is like every edition of the 3DS. <laughs> True. And um, so this time it happened again. And I'm like, okay, I, I just want a, a Nintendo 3DS that does 3D because when it's all said and done with the system, the 2D systems aren't, you know, that you're going to lose the appeal of the, the entire point of the system. Uh, good luck getting a 3DS right now because they are stupid expensive. Even the 2DS XL, which I'm happy to have because I think it's a very elegant and gorgeous system. It, it plays very well. And OK, you don't really need to 3D. I'm just kind of being a little bitch about it. Yeah, good luck getting one of those right now. They, some, they cost more than a Vita and Vitas are stupid expensive right now. So if you're looking for a 3DS, like don't. <laughs> Um, 
Now, in terms of games, I did beat East 4. I don't know if I mentioned that last time. East 4, Dawn of East for the PC Engine CD. So if I did mention that, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get into it because I may have. Uh, I also have been playing Threads of Fate because I'm going to be doing an episode with the good, the bad, and the backlog with Adam and friend of the show, Ozzy. I mean, they're both friends of the show. So I look forward to that, talking about the game, not so much the game, because, oh, uh, not a tire fire, but there there is a fire. So, I mean, it's not that bad, but it is, it's, yeah. Uh, and I've also been playing Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster for Steam, not mobile. And I will say this, uh, without spoiling my not-so-rapid-fire review for our patrons. This has got to be probably the best pixel remaster of the bunch that I've played so far. I haven't played five. I'm saving that for the four-job Fiesta. Mm. There you go, Lyle. But I will say six. It's The the difficulty is true to the original. Maybe, maybe exactly on par. There are some times I'm like, yeah, that was a little too easy, or some moves are a little overpowered. But for the most part, it's it's done a really good job of balancing out difficulty, whereas previous games are just mindlessly easy. And I do have some issues with it in terms of some of the some of the things you do, like Sabin's Blitz. I don't like how that's executed, and Cyan's Sword Tech. I don't like how that's executed. And the game is already broken to begin with, so I can't you know, harp too much on it. But overall, if you've never played Final Fantasy VI before, and even if you have, I highly recommend it. Opera scene is a little jarring, though, I will say that. But if if you can get past that, and it's only like, what, five minutes, then you're going to have a decent time if you love that game. And I do, so I'm enjoying that. The, awesome. Is, is it the singing? Yes, it's the singing. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that was a quite random thing for them to add. Either way, you're kind of damned in that situation. <laughs> right, right, right. It hasn't, it hasn't aged particularly well, and then when you add words to it, I, I think they just sort of done Italian, but... They, I don't know if they could explain Celeste knowing Italian. Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into it. I'm just saying it's it's very weird. Well, fortunately, our brief uh, brief history section generally does not include singing. So we've got that going for us. Generally. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different this time around, given that, as Chris mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we are not actually talking about a game console or even a person or a company. We are talking about a topic um, and that is uh, sort of game preservation and digital game distribution and the implications of it. And so to provide a little bit of background on that, um, to sort of set the stage for the rest of our discussion, Chris is, is going to jump in and, and hit you all with some facts. So Chris, could you please give the fine people the rundown on uh, digital gaming? The desire to avoid leaving the house and having to deal with real people has long been a desire of people playing video games. And if you're a social butterfly, you probably don't mind at least saving some space around the house. Whatever the case, being able to download media directly from a source as opposed to having a physical copy has long been viewed as a desire by gamers. And even though quite a few people may perceive the ability to download a video game and play it, maybe something more modern, this is a concept that is almost as old as home gaming itself. But digital downloads may not be everything they are cracked up to be. Media can exist on a digital storefront forever, which may cause many pieces of art to be lost to time. 
The 1980s were the dawn of a new frontier. The internet had started to be available commercially, and with that, new opportunities would be created. Atari was one of the first companies to push for digital downloads with their Atari 2600 through a service called GameLine. Customers would download games to rent for five to 10 days to a cartridge over a phone line. Once the crash of 1983 occurred, GameLine crashed as well. Nintendo in Japan would somewhat carry the torch with their Famicom Disk System from 1987 to 2003. Nintendo had kiosks that would allow customers to use blank discs to download games that could then be used at home, and those discs could be rewritten as many times as wanted. The 90s would be quieter for digital games, on the home console front at least, with Sega leading the charge. Sega would launch Sega Meganet in 1990, a service that was used over a phone line via a modem that would attach to the Mega Drive. A variety of download-only games were made available to the system, such as text adventures that were companion pieces for Fantasy Star 2. North America would receive something similar in 1994 with the Sega Channel, where many games would be download exclusive such as Golden Axe 3 and Mega Man The Wily Wars. Nintendo would also offer online services with the Satellaview, a Japanese satellite internet service that players could download games and tune in for live broadcasts as exclusive content that attached to the Super Famicom system. This would be in addition to having new kiosks in Japan for Game Boy and Super Famicom games, similar to what they had with the Famicom Disk System. These would be the first real instances of possibly losing games forever, as many were download only, if not saved by game preservationists. Ironically, PC gaming stayed away from downloads for most of the 90s. PC games would instead opt to use a system online that would allow buyers of physical content to unlock the full game via online monetary exchange via a bulletin board system, or BBS. Software Creations BBS and Exact PC BBS existed to allow users to get a game physically for cheap, but have to unlock a key over their modem. Due to long distance fees, BBS did not last very long. By the mid to late 90s, however, games started allowing users to download additional content if they are lucky enough to have an internet connection, paving the way for digital DLC, as well as patches for games and online services such as Battle.net. By the late 90s and early 2000s, the internet had started to become widely adopted by the masses. This allowed the digital storefront to begin to mature. The Sega Dreamcast would launch with a modem, and several games would have content that could only be obtained via download. Microsoft would launch the Xbox, which would have a digital storefront called Xbox Live, changing the way many console gamers would see games forever, being able to download smaller games and additional content from all from a centralized storefront. While Nintendo and Sony abstained from launching actual storefronts for their GameCube and PS2 respectively, they were fully capable of and did provide online experiences with games like Fantasy Star Online and SOCOM Navy SEALs. The PC digital storefront had not truly begun to take shape, but early formations were occurring, 
In 2001, developer Stardock began to digitally distribute their games over the web and was one of the first to do so. Stardock Central, the platform they used to distribute games, would later become Impulse and was sold off to GameStop in May of 2011, never to be heard of again. However, the gaming world would change in 2004 when developer Valve would launch their own distribution system, which they called Steam. The storefront steamrolled most of the competition and by 2011 made up approximately 70% of the market for downloadable games. Other notable storefronts include Good Old Games, later GOG, which specialized in providing older games with no DRM. Electronic Arts would also start their own storefront, Origin, as would Ubisoft to successful but less significant results. Since then, digital storefronts have essentially been applied to every piece of electronic hardware. Cell phones and iPods, the latter of which would set the mobile market on fire with the launch of the App Store with the iPhone. All consoles in the sixth generation, the Wii, the PS3, and the Xbox 360, had their own digital storefronts where you could purchase and download games. While home consoles didn't see full releases at first, eventually the PS3 and 360 began to release many of their games alongside physical releases. The end of the sixth generation also saw one of the first warning signs of online storefronts. On September 29, 2017, Nintendo announced that the Wii Shop would be closing down in 2019, with the ability to add funds to close down on March 26, 2018. On January 30, 2019, the Wii Shop officially closed down, leaving many games that were exclusive to that storefront to be potentially lost forever, or at least not available officially ever again. Since then, many digital fronts have announced intentions of shutting down, with the PSP storefront being shut down by Sony, as well as the PS3 and PS Vita stores initially facing that same fate before Sony had to buckle to fan backlash. Nintendo has since then announced that the Wii U and 3DS eShops will face a similar fate to their predecessors and see imminent shutdowns as well. And this is without mentioning the scores of games that have been delisted across all storefronts due to licensing issues or developers just not wanting a game to be available anymore. While the digital age has opened a floodgate of accessibility and potential for gaming opportunities, it has also allowed for many experiences to disappear forever due to the very nature of how they exist. Today we will be discussing our thoughts once again, as we did seven years ago in our first episode, about the positives and negatives of the digital gaming front, and whether the costs outweigh the means when it comes to digital downloads. And that is your brief introduction to the conversation of digital dystopia. All right. Thank you, Chris for that introduction. And so here we are, as he said, roughly seven years in the future, talking once again about digital games. And I have a feeling somebody, uh, or at least one person I can think of, they'll probably try to keep us honest. We'll go back and uh, listen to the original episode and see if we actually have <laughs> the same thoughts as we did back then. I, I feel like we, I, a lot of them mm. will be similar, but I don't know. I don't actually. I don't think so. I think I've changed quite a bit. Really, over time, mm. I think so. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to hear. In a sense. Rate. you'll know the difference yes. between mine. Definitely. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember Tiger. I mean, you were in our hearts at that time, Tiger. You were there in spirit. That's true. 
No, that was Tiger, pretty... at that time, Tiger was too too busy doing doing cool shit with cool people. Man, <laughs> I was. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah, now he's just here with us. <laughs> before we before we start, I just want to say that your intro kind of like on top of watching my wife play Elden Ring, I'm I'm watching your intro as you say it. Scroll up the screen, and then the background of Elden Ring is showing. Uh, and that's that's what I feel like I'm walking into here, like it's it's dark and dim, and <laughs> it's it it doesn't look good. Uh, so uh, maybe I maybe the future of digital gaming is maidenless. Yeah, maybe is <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Jack about Elder Ring, but I hope I, I hope we can bring some optimism into this at least a little bit. You know, for anyone that's worried. I think there's going to be plenty of optimism. I, I definitely think there's going to be some pessimism here. But to, to get this kicked off, we normally start with our own personal experiences, how we get to games. So I think it'd be appropriate to talk about our first experience with digital games and when we started downloading games. Uh, Tiger, how about you kick this one off for us? Okay, well, I will give it a shot. I was trying to think in the last few days about my first experiences with digital gaming. And one of the main things that really stood out is the fact that it really wasn't this huge change in gaming. I just played a game. It, I still played the game. It was just downloaded, I guess. But maybe my first uh, experience was how effing slow it is to download a game. <laughs> Back in like, <laughs> True. you know... I guess uh, late 2000s or something. Um, uh, in my in my brain, I think the first real experience console-wise, because I wasn't really a PC gamer, uh, was probably on the Xbox 360. Um, this was back when they were really pushing out the indies and some of the re uh, refreshed like old retro games, and that's what really drew me to it. I wasn't really an Xbox person, but like I remember seeing them bring back like Ikaruga and like a bunch of old like shmup shoot 'em up games. Uh, they remade Contra and Castlevania, so that the memory of just that whole uh, ecosystem of digital games was like my first, the first thing that I really remember in regards to digital games on consoles and then i think my real first experience was with the nintendo wii when they uh, created the the WiiWare service because mm. that was mm. when you would have uh, certain exclusives that you could not buy uh, uh physically in retail stores so one of my main games that i played on that was dr mario rx because i was really good at dr mario and it was great to have some sort of online service uh, to play people that were also good at Dr. Mario. So, uh, and then I guess Steam was always there, but I never really played it very much. I think I would only get Steam games if they were free somehow. I mean, that didn't come about until like maybe the mid 2010s or so. So I was a little late on that. But mm. uh, yeah, that's that's really my first experience in uh, digital gaming. So about y'all. I'll take this one next because I'm, I'm sure Shane is the digital gaming aficionado oh, here. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> yes. This is news to me so too. My, so. well, I may go further back, but you are much more in, in the weeds with it. Mm. So I, I feel. So my first experience with digital games, I would say, is technically ROMs. So if I go back to 1998, 
I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but I had some friends that I went over to their house and like we'd have sleepovers like every every Friday night because they had this amazing office with like three PCs and we just play Warcraft 2 or, or Doom or Starcraft, mostly Warcraft 2 and Starcraft over these computers against each other or, or cooperatively. But one time I went over there and this was in 98, maybe early 99, and they were playing Final Fantasy 2 on you know, for the Super Nintendo, so for if you want to be snobbish, which I usually am, so yeah, that's me. Uh, I, they were playing Final Fantasy two on their PC, and I'm like, "What? What are you doing? Like, how is this possible?" And they said, "Oh yeah, you can totally download games and play them on your computer, and you, that's like every Super Nintendo game ever available. You can play it." I'm like, "Oh, that's cool." So my first introduction to digital games was emulation, which I don't think really fits into this conversation. Your first, it's uh, like my first experience was crime. <laughs> I, I was a pirate before pirating was cool. <laughs> Maybe it was always cool. I don't know. But uh, after that, if you want to talk about like legitimately playing digital games in a sense, I guess my first introduction would have been the Sega Dreamcast with DLC because you would get. I got Choo Choo Rocket, which was a launch game. And with Choo Choo Rocket, not only could you play the game online, which is amazingly fun. And if you have never experienced that, you need to find a way to do that because Choo Choo Rocket is a very fun game. Uh, but it would have downloadable levels that you could store to your VMU that you downloaded from SegaNet. Uh, additionally, a game that we talked about, and I think I mentioned this on the Skies of Arcadia episode, there was DLC on Skies of Arcadia for an island that if you didn't download that, you couldn't get one of the character's ultimate weapons, which is kind of bullshit, uh, especially today. But back then it was cool. Uh, other things you would see would be Jet jet Set jet, or Jet Grind Radio, where you could download art or graffiti art that you could spray onto walls because that's the entire point of that game. So you could actually download that from the internet, which could be custom art that people created or just art that was generated by Sega themselves for, for you to do. Now, once the Dreamcast died, uh, I, I kind of moved away from digital content. I mean, you played MMOs, but I think that's kind of a different subgenre altogether. But then you would get over to the Xbox 360 was when I actually started download, uh, downloading full games. And the game that got me to download games and just get into the sphere whatsoever was Geometry Wars. Mm. And I think that's actually an introduction for a lot of people who had never played digital games before. The concept of going onto a system and downloading a full game that you couldn't get physically. Um, because, I mean, that was a game that was just covered left and right all over games media as just kind of being this hit sensation. And eventually I think they did put it to a physical disc. But for a while you could only get it. On Xbox Live, Xbox 360 Arcade or whatever they're calling it at that time. Um, and then I would get Symphony of the Night as well because I'm in love with that game and I was able to download that to my Xbox. And I just thought it was so novel that I didn't need to go out and look for a physical copy and I could have this on my system and and just be able to, to play it as it was. And, you know, I didn't need to dig out my PlayStation 2. I didn't need to find a PlayStation. I didn't need to find a game. It was just there and it was convenient. Now, of course, my views changed the last time we talked about this, and we'll get more into that later. Uh, but then, yeah, of course, I went on a long time where I just swore off digital games, and I thought that they were all shit, and they were ruining the industry. But uh, <laughs> Shane, what did you what, – what was your first experience with them? Yeah, you know, this was hard for me to nail down, actually. Um, 
I, I, I did not have any experience with like the very early console digital distribution methods, um, like, you know, Dreamcast or any of that stuff. Um, and even though I was more involved with PC gaming for a pretty good chunk of, you know, like the late nineties, early, early aughts, I feel like it actually took me a while to really get to a point because the way that I'm defining this is not necessarily like downloading like a patch for something. I mean, I guess we could count right. that, but that's not really the way I'm viewing it. I'm thinking like, when did I actually wholesale buy and download and play a game without ever touching a piece of physical media? And if that's what we're using as our kind of barometer. Um, I, I was actually a holdout <laughs> for a while. Uh, cause even, even playing wow back when it first released, cause that's obviously an MMO. So it's an online only game and that kind of a thing. Like I still went to the store and bought the fucking PC big box with the discs in it. I, I was kind of at the forefront of steam because I was, you know, kind of hooked into that stuff at that time. Um, half-life two, had just come out and I remember having a physical copy of that and I remember using Steam to find multiplayer games for like Counter-Strike or like Day of Defeat and some of those other mods so I guess that was kind of really the first time and it wasn't and I think Tiger kind of mentioned this too it wasn't necessarily like a, a a switch flip or anything right it was just this gradual sort of transition to suddenly just all of my games being pretty much digital. Um, but it was right around that time. Steam was, I think, really the catalyst for me and for a lot of people, I'm sure, uh, to kind of transitioning to this, you know, the the digital future that, that we're in now. But I think it wasn't until probably at least a, a couple of years after that, I think, where I really started um, actually purchasing games digitally and not having a physical disc. So, so even though this concept is not really new by, by any stretch, it's been around for decades now. Um, I, I didn't really get kind of plugged into it, um, until yeah, probably like the mid two thousands. So one of the things that was starting to come out in the mid two thousands, and this is, this is going to get pretty dicey because this is where we can really start talking about games that have disappeared and are pretty much lost to time forever and i don't think there's much of a real effort there probably is more of an underground one but a real effort for people to remember these games the mobile games that were coming out around 2005 pre-ipod pre-iphone mm -hmm. do you guys remember any of those games or did you ever play any of them yeah hell yeah yeah <laughs> okay hell yeah so like <laughs> let me just go what ahead. you got tiger yeah so facebook facebook had games and i know it's not quite mobile games but yeah, they it, what they had was pretty much mobile games only on Facebook. Yeah, the Farmville, you know, that was a yes. big craze. Uh, I don't know if that's still going on, but it's definitely not on Facebook, I don't think. <laughs> and uh, there was a Final Fantasy game, but it wasn't Final Fantasy, but it was by Square Enix called Knights of the Crystals. Maybe you've heard of it, but it was a Facebook exclusive RPG by by Square Enix. And that's completely gone. Like, there's no way you can play that anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but it was set up similar to, like, how mobile games are now. You, you do your battles, and you have a cooldown, and you could, like, 
buy stuff and like add friends and such. So like yeah, I was completely addicted to it, but I couldn't tell you a damn thing about the game because <laughs> it's so it's so long ago. Um, but moving on, moving to actual like games on a mobile phone, uh, the game that stood out uh, for me, which actually is not available because they removed it, uh, is called Terra Battle. And this was a game by uh, Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but... Uh, we'll just he, say it is. Yeah, <laughs> close enough. Uh, he he created this game... You're getting credit, Sakaguchi, even if it's not you. Congratulations. <laughs> he created this game called Terra Battle, and I can't, I can't even really explain how the game said the game the game is set up like a like eight by six grid and each each of your characters are on a piece of this grid and you can move the characters around uh, in your moves sort of like a strategy rpg but you could literally like drag them wherever you wanted to and as you drag this character on the screen you could move the enemies and the and the you know characters on your side so the whole idea is to like pince uh, the enemy in between two of your characters and that would attack them and you would have a set time to move your characters around so um, I was completely addicted to this game and this I I couldn't tell you a date I don't want to be wrong but you know what, what happened is they made a sequel Terra Battle 2 it flopped awful like like horribly and then everyone just moved on and then they said okay well we're just shutting everything down and they shut everything down so there's no way to play this game ever. I really love the game. It was a very original idea. There's no other game I've ever seen like this game. And that's like one of the biggest issues. You know, that's the only game that I can really feel like, man, I missed that game. The The concept was cool. It was original. And there's no other game like it. And if I wanted to play something like that now, I can't. <laughs> I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy you brought up Farmville, man. That game has to be responsible for the loss of so many man hours in the workforce. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think Facebook has gotten better since, by the way. I think that was peak Facebook. I think you're right. When, yeah, when everyone was relatively happy with each other and we weren't screaming about stupid stuff, we were just posting pictures of cats and, and we might say stupid stuff because people do stay, say stupid stuff. It'd be like you log on to Farmville and share your crops with your friends. And they would share it back to you. And like Facebook would be like, are you doing Farmville today? And they'd be like, yes. And it was such a happy place. <laughs> and I mean, we could still days. find things to argue about there, too. You know, I mean, like I I, I always complained <laughs> about actually the, the people who are like real into Facebook games because they, they would just like post that shit directly to like your your wall or whatever or like message oh, yeah. you and just be like hey i'm playing this random ass facebook game you should come join me so i can get more like pigs for my pen or whatever and i'm like dude i don't even know you like what what, what game is this <laughs> uh it's funny you mentioned terra battle by the way tiger because i actually played that like not not intensely but i do remember playing it also if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, um, apparently you you can actually download the APK for that game and like sideload it onto an Android device. So if you Oh, cool. Yeah. So look into it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So okay, mobile gaming back then, dude. Uh there's there's a lot of stuff that I think has lost the time now because like even so something like Terra Battle was released for Android and iOS even though that was back in like 2013 14 something like that um but if you want to go back even further there are some things that I I don't 
think you can even emulate properly right now. I could be wrong. Probably not. There might be somebody who's just been real ambitious, but there were there was a period of time there where you could play games released by triple A studios on like a fucking flip phone or like a Blackberry. Yes. Um, there was like versions of Splinter Cell for like your Blackberry handheld and weird shit like that. I played a few of those, but like, I don't even know how you would track those down now. And of course, you know, a, a lot of those I would, well, maybe not a lot of them. I would say at least some of them re- relied on some servers to be up and running, but I would imagine some of them probably could still run if you could figure out how to do it today. Um, but yeah, there, here's the question though. And I think this is going to be a through line through a lot of this conversation. Cause it's something I was thinking about in, sort of leading up to recording this today is the thing that always keeps popping into my head ultimately is how much does it matter? <laughs> and what I mean by that going? is with the absolute glut of, of games that have been released. Um, and if we're talking about mobile platform specifically, then fine. Um, but you can even make that same commentary about pretty much any digital storefront at this point. But with just how many of them have released, like how important is it to be able to still access and play? Maybe I, I might even venture to say the majority of a lot of those titles, like does anyone care? Okay. So, I mean, because I was going to kind of get to the point, I know we're kind of, you know, beating this down a little bit, but for some of these, no, because I think like for the mobile games, I understand game preservation is a thing and people care about that. So I don't want to diminish that point or make it sound like it's unimportant, but most of these mobile games are just not, they sucked. Mm -hmm. They were, they were crap. They were, they were just a, a way to provide you with some sort of game that mimicked what you wanted to say. So you could say, oh, I'm playing Resident Evil on my cell phone, which I tried doing once and immediately regretted it. (laughs) Uh, uh, But I was happy it was a free demo because I was like, I'm never playing a mobile game on my Motorola ever again. So, I mean, I did learn that. Now, in in terms of other other things, like if if I go back and I look at like an iPod, the original iPod that had the the wheel dial. Yeah. There are some games I know when we, we said like Square Enix, which is something that uh, Tiger mentioned, like I, and because, you know, these are the games I'm gravitated towards. I'm an RPG guy. So there was this game that you could take songs and it was a tactical RPG grid base in the same vein as Final Fantasy Tactics and take songs from your library and create uh, and like fight characters with them to fight alongside you in battle. I forget the name of this. This game was, but it was super cool. Because it was kind of like Monster Rancher and the fact that every single one of your songs had a different character or creature that would fight alongside you in battle. And that it was specifically tailored to the wheel dial and how you would control the game. So you can't put that on an iPod Touch unless you fundamentally change it or you completely remaster the game. Meaning that the original way of playing it is completely gone. Right. You can't do that anymore. It's a digital download. And mostly that Apple didn't continue to make these like iPods and these things die. It's not like you can easily replace the battery in these things or you can't rely on the hard drive because they were HDDs. So is there a point in going back to these, maintaining them and, and having the experience? Like it's, it's easy for us to say no because a lot of these games we wouldn't even touch because they are fucking atrocious. But there are some gems in there 
and they do, for a historical perspective, show the evolution of what mobile gaming was. Right. No, I, I get that. I get that. It's just, it's something that, like I said, it, it kind of crossed my mind because I, I get that, you know, trying to preserve this stuff for posterity is a valid argument, but there's just, there's so much of it that, A, I'm not sure that's entirely feasible anyway, um, even if the hardware challenges didn't exist. And then B, it's like, at what point do you maybe be a little bit more selective, <laughs> I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I don't buy yeah, it. Yeah. I don't buy it at all. Buy what? I don't buy that preservation is needed for... Ooh, that's spicy. Yeah, every single game in the world. Um, but I, I also am biased in the sense that I feel like, and, and this isn't going to be true, but for me, I feel like the people that push it a lot are the ones that are downloading legally. Um, mm. And... And a lot, and a lot of times, it's kind of I feel it's a selfish thing, because you just want to be able to have access to everything anytime you want to. You go into your um, your your brain, and you're like, oh, I remember that game that I used to play, and there's no way to play it now. I wish I could play it. And you know, we want everything now, because the right way would be to. You know, you contact the creator, you contact the company, and you ask them to bring it back. Or maybe you just have it saved on an old console, but the worry is when it goes away, since there's no other way to obtain it again, you know, it's lost forever. Um, but I guess the way I feel about it is if it's lost, then oh well. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. That That is a bit of a spicy take, but right. I think you make a really good point. No, I, you do make a good point, though, because... A lot of these people that are like, oh, we're we're saving these ROMs for game preservation. And that's the reason I have every single NES game downloaded to my computer is for game <laughs> preservation. That's and not I, the reason I, I have it. Yeah, it's like that's not that's, <laughs> no, that's not the reason anybody fucking has right. it. Right. And Let's that's what real, I, that's dude. what I don't buy. Let's make that clear. Yeah. Like no one's yeah, like if you want free games, I mean it's it's okay. You want free games, you know. I don't I don't think what you're doing is right, but you know, you just you just want free games. You don't want to pay for them. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, let's like more to the point. So Nintendo comes out with these Nintendo online services and you have to pay $50 to play N64 games and Genesis games on Nintendo Switch. Right. And you can do this legally. Now, what do you what is something you get from game preservationists all the time? And myself included. I'm so guilty of this is, well, if they make them available legally, then I'll go out and buy them. And then the companies are like, Okay, we just made them legal. We just made them available legally. Yeah, but in so, like the most shit way them. possible, though. <laughs> but that's like, the thing. They made them available. <laughs> they did it. Well, maybe you we should have been more it. specific in our requirements <laughs> then. Because, I mean, yes, I know what you're getting at. And yeah, that's a totally valid argument because Nintendo, for this example, makes this stuff available and it doesn't really make a shit's worth of difference to those same exact people that were complaining because they'll just find another reason to not actually legitimately buy it. I, so yeah, exactly. totally get it. But to be fair, to be fair, Nintendo is historically just god awful at, at actually making this stuff available in a sensible fashion. I mean, I agree. Listen, dude, nobody should have to pay even $5 for Super Mario Brothers on the NES for, like, the sixth time. Like, if you bought it once, 
And then it was just associated with your Nintendo account forever. Then great. That that is that is fine. But when you have to rebuy the same game that takes up less space than a floppy disk, you know, like wh- why? I have to rebuy it every time Nintendo puts out a new platform because they refuse to actually maintain any of those purchases. Like that's shitty. And so those are the kind of things that will drive people to just be like, well, no, fuck it. I'm just going to go download this. And I can't really say that I blame them because them is me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but I don't if know. They put it on Steam. Like, let's not talk about Nintendo here. Sure. So, I mean, let, let's get to Steam because we, we, I mean, we don't really have a note structure anymore because this conversation is far more interesting than whatever I wrote down for the structure <laughs> here. Uh, but we are, I mean, that does kind of get to Steam. You do have companies that do release you know, re-release games if they're digital or not. And this this ties into both kind of physical and digital media mm. where you might not have a game that is available physically for a very long time. And especially within the past five years, you've seen this huge resurgence of taking old games and putting them on new platforms for people to play. Sega's been doing it forever with their like collections. They've just been, they don't like, hey, or just have our library. Same with SNK and maybe the ports suck, but it doesn't matter. They're just like, here's all our games. Please, please buy them because, like, we don't know how to make money otherwise. And <laughs> it's just they they do put them on these storefronts. So even like with the the recently announced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Calabunga collection. Now, I'm not saying that you should go out and get the $160 collector's version. Like, don't do that. Um, it's not worth that much. If you want to, hey, it's your money. I'm not going to tell you what to do with it. But when they saw it was like $40, people are like, well, I can download all these games for free. Yes, but you've been complaining that you can't get them legally. So when you talk about from a game preservation perspective, and I un- this is where I understand what Tiger's saying. When people are always like, oh, I miss these games. I wish they were still available. They're now off the digital storefronts. They've been erased. I wish they would come back. And then they come back and people are like, $5. <laughs> I can get that for free. You don't care about preservation. You don't give a shit about preservation. You just want shit. You just want it. That's all you want. You want all the all these libraries to be free, even though they're IPs. I guess it would be ideal if they were free. I would love it for them to be free. I think most people would. But don't sit there and say it's about game preservation or you'd really buy it when these companies come back and they revive these franchises in their original format and you snub their nose at them and you're too say you're too fucking good to purchase it. And then you wonder why they don't pre- preserve these games. Like you don't, you you wonder why they don't keep them on market fronts, on storefronts, when no one buys them because you download them for free. And I understand Nintendo's completely shitty about it, but and, and maybe the ports aren't the best and fuck Konami forever just because, you know, fuck Konami because Konami is Konami and Konami is the worst. But they are making these games available. So, so if you don't buy them, it is what it is. To be yeah. fair, the, the sales really do speak. And regardless of what's actually being said on social media and public or like your friends or whatever, like the sales are there. So if if there is a game that is deeply desired in the community, regardless of how old it is, how many times it's been released, the sales still speak. Hence, Mario. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like. I think beyond beyond the fact that every, like the people that complain and say that they won't do it, I think they're far they're very small percentage of the people that actually you know care about these re-releases and 
you know, certain games show, certain games don't. And, you know, rip knights. Nobody <laughs> nobody wants to buy knights. <laughs> so they won't make any new knights games. But, you know, I think if there's a highly desired games and they remake it, you know, that really shows the proof of how much uh, was just bullshit demand and and how much people actually wanted to play the game. So, yeah, um, I and do I, think price plays a point too. Like you don't release. Oh yeah, uh, this game is never been released in thirty years, but now it's sixty bucks and we didn't change a damn thing. Well, obviously, you know, I wonder why it flopped. Here's Final Fantasy four for on Steam for the tenth time we've released this, and it's thirty dollars, and we've made no changes. Enjoy, <laughs> and I'm sure yeah, people are buying it. I, so I guess that's, I mean, if, if we're using that Turtles collection as an example, because I feel like I'm being called out by that specifically. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I thought you were going to buy it. Yeah. Same. Well, I'm not because here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. I mean, first of all, I still own my physical copy of Turtles in Time, so I don't fucking need Fair. it again. Um, but even if I didn't, I... <sighs> Okay, it's hard for me because I'm trying to think through this, and I think it's really subjective. You know, where for for me personally, my, the choices that I make around like what games I will buy and what games I'm like fuck off, I will just download this. Um, I don't think are necessarily sensical to anybody that's like looking at it from the outside. But if I if I look at my track record. It seems to be that I am totally okay. Like, for instance, I wishlisted and bought day one the gold box collection re-release on Steam of the, like, old-ass advanced Dungeons & Dragons PC games, the, the first-person dungeon crawlers. Yeah. Those are totally things that you could just go find and download they for quite a while were basically considered abandoned where anyway. So they're fairly easy to track down. But did I do that? No, I didn't. I waited and then I waited for this re-release and I was happy to buy it. I was happy to throw down money. Uh, whereas something like this turtles re-release, I immediately was like, fuck off. I'm not doing anything with that. Are you kidding me? I mean, first of all, cause a lot of those turtles games that are in there are actually kind of garbage there's only a couple that are really carrying the majority of the weight on that collection i would probably agree with that Um, same but i guess what it is is to me in my head it's it's easy to find old console games because it literally comes down to get an emulator put the rom in and you're basically done it's it's not super complicated with older PC titles, it can and often does get complicated because you end up with compatibility issues. You have to figure out how to get something to run that was never meant to run on, you know, Windows 10 or whatever. Um, and if you're doing it that way and you're going and downloading like an old copy, um, you've got to figure out how to make that work. And then you start going down this rabbit hole of like, mods and tweaking INI files and figuring out how to set up the config so that it'll launch properly and how the fuck do I run this in a resolution that doesn't like look a postage stamp and there's just this whole litany of problems with old PC games that take a lot of time to get them up and running and so I think that's the value proposition for me is that if you can re-release an old 
game that would be difficult and painful to try to set up and play on your own and you have streamlined that process for me and i can launch it from a modern service like steam and just fucking play it and not have to worry about all the garbage to get it to actually work on a modern computer that's worth my money what's not worth my money is you taking a rom that's the same fucking rom and in nintendo's case has been proven are the same ROMs that you can just get from any download site. Uh, you're just selling them back to me and not really doing anything. Like maybe you put a nice little UI on the front of it so that I can select which ROM I want to launch. Well, guess what? I can do that in RetroArch too. So like you're not giving me anything for my money there. I guess that's where that's where my mind is with it. I mean, that's fair. Um and I think that that kind of leads into a discussion in and of itself because you're talking about console games and their availability and, and putting on a ROM. Yeah. And that's all like when we're talking about older console games. We're talking about games on a cartridge. We're not talking about digital games. Right. But I think we've seen quite a bit of games on the console front that don't exist anymore. And I don't really want to talk about storefronts quite yet. I want to talk more about games that were just delisted because we'll talk about entire storefronts being delisted right after we, we talk about this but i want to talk about games like like pt or like turtles reshelled oh fuck that game or that's it, I, it, it can I get stay that. gone I, that's fine i i, I get that <laughs> or even for a while scott pilgrim versus the world yeah yeah where they're just delisted and you can't buy them anymore. And there's so many other games. And if you if you can think of a couple, the one that sticks out most for me is is PT. And I've seen people like, oh, they recreated in some Unity engine, and you can just play it that way. No, it's not the same. It's it's definitely not the same. And even if you were able to get it on PC, maybe you could recreate it or get that ROM. But most people don't have a PC that can do that nowadays. And I think that's more at the heart of our conversation about like this digital dystopia where you have games that came out on a digital storefront on more modern hardware that are hard for the masses to just naturally emulate mm -hmm. if you could get a hold of that ISO. And so what do you do in those situations? Like, I understand we already discussed that like not everything deserves to be preserved in in tiger's eyes which i still think is a spicy take <laughs> i think everything's worth to be preserved to an extent i was just about to right? say like you're screwed like if you didn't play pt yeah. well then you're screwed <laughs> just yes you are yeah so what's like a solution for that i mean we're going to continue to see this as long as licensing happens unless and we get physical versions of games and the way that i see it is the only solution is there is none <laughs> but like you know like Trying to find an answer for this to me is like a selfish thing. Like, I really want to play PT and I want to play it now. It was free then. It should be free now. And I want to play it. Like, that's how I see it. So, like, I kind of don't right. approach the, the problem as, like, something that we can fix. But, like, yeah. you know, I have it on my PS4 right now. You know, if, if anyone wanted to play it, please come by. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so it's interesting that you say that it's selfish because I can kind of I, I can see where you're coming from, because part of uh -huh. the issue, right, is from a it, let's look at this from a game developer slash publisher perspective. Right. Back in the day before you were distributing things digitally, you had to go through this whole process of, you know, getting everything printed to physical media, shipping, all of those logistics and that in and of itself, I mean, Gabe Newell's gone on record 
back, you know, in the earlier days of Steam saying like, yeah, we had to do all this shit. You had to worry about it. And along with that came a lot of trepidation. There was a lot of hesitancy around like doing anything crazy or like trying new things because you knew all of the steps that had to go into actually, you know, pressing and shipping a game. And so with the advent of digital distribution methods, you could be a lot more uh, freeform with what you're doing. So that's one of the positives. But the other part of that is that the end of the developer's responsibility or the publisher's responsibility was when that went out the door, right? As soon as that went out the door, the cost to them was done. And so they didn't care. Conversely, now, if you want to have something available in perpetuity that is that was and is a digital only, you know, piece of content, the only way to make that available is to continually incur costs on behalf of the developer or publisher to host that content somewhere so that people can download it. And I don't think a lot of people think about that because that's, that I think is what I, I, at least I think anyway, part of what Tiger is driving at with the selfish aspect of it is you're just saying, well, I want this. I mean, like I might not want it right now, but I might want it in like two weeks. (laughs) I don't know, but it should be there for me. And you're like, okay, well, that's cool, but have you thought about who's fucking paying to keep the lights on? Like, how else are you going to go get that, you know? And so that is that is a big part of it that I think gets overlooked. I also think of it as, you know, since this game is not coming out, since this does not represent what we're trying to do or where we're trying to go, you know, we want to just kind of pass on, move forward, and, you know, this doesn't exist to us anymore, like... <laughs> Yeah. Please let's get rid so, of like, it, you know, so that people don't keep bugging us about it in, uh, you know, whatever, strides in effect. Right. But, uh. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that is something like I, I need to check myself on there, Shane. Thank you. Because PT, yeah, it does cost money to have a free game on the server. It doesn't matter uh, what that game is for. It doesn't matter how small it is. Konami is not in the business of charity. They are quite clear about that. They want your pachinko money. (laughs) So they're not going to have a trailer to a game that isn't coming out take up space on a server that's going to take money to host and offer it free forever. That's just – that's not a probable thing or a rational thing for any corporation to do or any company or just any person to do. You're not going to keep something up that's free that is not – something you want to keep up unless like it's like just something you do out of a passion project and the person's passion who made it there's not even with Konami anymore so it's not like they necessarily even care about it so in in that aspect no I I totally get it there's no reason for Konami to keep that thing up on the server well and I mean so what's the solution right because what they you could argue maybe as some sort of like compromise that if a company knew they're like, listen, we had this digital game. Um, we've we're, we're we're sunsetting this now. You know, we we believe it is end of life. We're going to be shutting it down. Blah blah blah. However, they want to couch it. So maybe they give like a a window of opportunity where they're like, hey, we're done with this thing. So we're going to make the entirety of the game 
just available for anybody to download until X date, at which point it will just no longer be available, period. And that would allow for people who genuinely care about game preservation to go and download the entirety of the game files and store them somewhere. Because ultimately, even with the the whole game preservation argument, somebody has still got to foot that bill. So if it's not the game company, then it's some enthusiast who has the hardware that they're storing this stuff on and, you know, keeping it in perpetuity for one reason or another. So at the end of the day, somebody's paying. But if the companies wanted to wash their hands of it and just divest themselves of it, um, they could just do that. I'm not sure what the legal ramifications of that are. I'm sure they'd have to navigate that. But just off the top of my head, I mean, maybe that's an option. Just be like, hey, we understand that people want to be able to do this. We don't have a vested interest in it anymore. So knock yourselves out, you know? And if it was like an online game, they could just make it so that they also make that, you know, architecture available. They're like, hey, do you want to set up your own private server to keep this game going? Because we're fucking not doing it. Well, here's what you got to do. And you can give instructions on how to set up a server. I mean, is anybody going to take the time to do that? Probably not. But those would be the things that would have to occur, you know, for for that stuff to be preserved by somebody. I think you would need to, like, now that you got me thinking, so, like, if there is any solution, like, you have to have someone to take this step. Someone as in, uh, like, a game developer or a big company that takes this step that, you know, I, I guess the way I envision it, it's like a making an agreement with a game preservationist organization and saying after this mm. amount of time uh, for whatever games, we will uh, provide whatever game content to you so that, you know, you can preserve it. Now, what's your guys' thoughts on sites like Limited Run? And because initially they, they came out and they were of this game preservationist, you know, just you know, maintaining physical forever. So there's always a physical copy of these games. Uh, but I think as time has gone on, I think it's become more and more clear, in my opinion, that they're more exploiting the fact that the digital storefront is known not to be forever. So they're creating a FOMO with these games or fear missing out for if you don't know what FOMO is. That if you don't get these games physically, one day these games will be just delisted and you won't be able to get them anymore. And that's become a you know monetary drive for companies like Limited Run and many people who mimic their style and mimic their business, just their business structure. Yeah. What do you guys think of those those things? I think that's... ultimately you're running into the same problem, like because uh, 10, 20 years down the line, everyone's going to complain that it's on an old console. <laughs> right, uh, but yeah. but and, and then we're like we're jumping around here because like you know if you're making physical uh, copies of a digital like of a of a digital game is that enough is that enough to to please uh, anyone that's worried about game preservation because in you know in in the end I think it does you can go back and get the old console and play it so the thing that we haven't really mentioned here that I think is a a salient point to the argument is I feel like a lot of people treat 
physical copies of games as like this sacrosanct thing that will exist forever, but they fucking won't. Like ev- <laughs> every every physical media, regardless of what it is, whether it is a compact disc, uh, a fucking tape, if you want to go back that far, uh, it doesn't matter what it is. They all have a shelf life. And so nothing is going to last forever, uh, you know, unless someone's putting in the work to continually move that that game content from one piece of media to another. And then, of course, you get into the conversation of, of you know, degradation over time just from making copies of copies of copies. But uh, I don't know. Th- this is where I also have a hard time with this because, like, I understand that having a physical copy of something, there's a certain something to it, to to having that box and having that like cartridge and being like, I I own this and I can play it and I can put it on a shelf and it's a physical thing that exists and I can look at it and there's 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 comfort in that I think and, and I'm not downplaying that I genuinely think that's true I mean there's a reason I still have these PC big boxes in my office that I'm looking at right now that I have a lot of personal attachment to. I've got my original Diablo and Diablo two big boxes up there because those are important to me. Um, so like I get it, but there is that argument of like, okay, but at some point that, you know, NES cartridge that you have sitting on a shelf is just going to be a piece of plastic because it's going to stop working. Well, then what's the point of living, Shane? What's the point? (laughs) Uh, All right, let's talk about (laughs) entropy. (laughs) No, I mean, but it's true, right? Okay, so... No, uh, right, right. And maybe maybe this is going to derail us off into into something else but fuck it i don't care there's let's do it my, my thoughts around this whole thing specifically with like digital only games and things like that and this is gonna this is gonna kind of dovetail into talking about the storefronts themselves because we haven't gotten to that yet Good. but i kind of take the view of like i, I kind of don't care like i i just i kind of i just don't care like if i've already played a game right realistically, how many times am I going to go back and play that game again? Uh, for me, it depends, but usually not many. Um, there are very few, like everybody knows I go back and play Diablo two all the fucking time. Um, and that, but that's like an outlier. Like when was the last time I went and fired up my copy of super Mario world on my super Nintendo? I don't remember. I still have it. It's sitting in a shelf. But when did I actually play it? I don't know, because I finished that game years ago. And so on some level, I kind of don't give a shit. Like, that's why, like, all of the games that I have listed in my Steam uh, catalog under my completed category, all the games that I have finished or played enough to a point where I felt like I got what I wanted out of them, I never look at that fucking list ever again. Unless it's something that we're going to go back and like do an episode on. But other than that, I I don't care. So it's to me, it's it's I guess it's almost a non-issue if I think I think to that point. Yeah, though, and I'm sorry to interrupt you here. It's it's it it speaks to whether or not I think how you consider games and if you games consider if you consider games to be art. I'm not saying you don't. But when you get to stuff like film and you because now you're seeing this with film you having you're having film available in only digital storefronts right but you have like Netflix and Hulu and all these like Disney plus and all this shit if a TV series comes out on Netflix 
and it's on there for like two years and then they take it off and it was only available on Netflix. Did you truly lose something if you had fans? So like Cowboy Bebop, people liked Cowboy Bebop, but Cowboy Bebop is not going to be on Netflix forever. They may make physical discs of it, but as you said, it'll be erased. Are we losing art if the if the real life uh, action, live action version of Cowboy Bebop is erased? Some people would say, oh, hell no, that was crap. But some people <laughs> did enjoy that content. Right. So like we could say we don't care, but are we losing art when we lose these these video games or are we just losing a toy yes we're losing art but who cares <laughs> that's where i am i'm just like you bring but up i think people do care no, i know i know some people care but i guess yeah. the point i'm what i'm trying to say is like yeah, i'm glad you brought that up movies but you also have books you have actual works of art so there's so I've, freaking mm, many individual pieces of art books movies tv video games there's so many so are is is someone's goal to to save every single p every single actual video game ever made are we also talking about like games that never made it to it you know any storefront at all like people what what they made you know for a few hours and then they just forgot about it like I'm I'm kind of getting off of uh, what we're talking about, but I guess my point is yeah, there's no, no, so that, much. That's still a good point. Yeah, there's so much out there, and and I, every time I try to convince myself of okay, maybe I'm being a little too uh, like strict or like too I'm not thinking right or something. Like I I keep leading to the question of who cares. <laughs> well, uh, and so and, and it sucks. So like, but like I, I I want someone to convince me otherwise. Like anyone's listening to me. Like it's listening to this. Like <laughs> please convince me. Like why I should care about. Well, so here's the thing. I I know what you're saying, and yeah. I and I agree with you that we we have such a you know I, I guess an an embarrassment of riches as far as media to consume is concerned that like you know steam backlogs and netflix lists are like real problems that people talk about because they're like i will never in my life be able to consume all of this media and this was something i thought of earlier in our discussion and i didn't get a chance to mention it but this seems like a good place which is when you're talking about like okay well what do we preserve and what do we don't or you know what do we care about it was a lot easier to preserve like the entire catalog of a particular game console back when that was 60 games or whatever, yes. right? Like it was just like, sure. okay, yeah, you have this console. It was released 40 years ago and all told it had X number of game cartridges released for it. Okay, that is a finite list. Great. So if you want to preserve all of that and say, this was the entire library of the games for this console, great, awesome. That's relatively speaking easy to do, but nowadays, uh, whether you're talking about a console, if it's your Xbox, or if you're talking about a PC platform or your phone, there are just so many things. And by and large, a lot of it is just complete shovelware or a bunch of microtransaction riddled garbage just trying to steal your money that at some point it's like, I, 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 I kind of have to agree. It's like, why should we care? Like, because there's always going to be something else. There's always more. 
there's never a point where I think anybody's going to be able to accurately capture all of these things. And that doesn't even start to get into the conversation about the evolving nature of modern games. Like this is something that I've seen discussions on uh, where it's like, okay, well, okay, let's say we want to preserve this game. It was released in a time where, you know, day one patches or, or patching, you know, online and stuff is very common. It happens all the time. What are we preserving? Do you preserve the release version? Do you preserve version 1.0 of this game and say, this is what it was when yeah. it released? Do oh, we preserve no. every single patch <laughs> version of this game? Like, where does that end? Right? Oh, no. I think like even now when you're saying that, when you mention that, it even gets to MMOs. Right. Because you had the situation with World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. And you know what? To that extent, yeah, Blizzard had a very shitty way of addressing it. And they're like, yeah, you don't, you don't want that. We, it sucks. You don't need it. But I, I get their mentality behind that now that you say that. Because they released this game a long time ago. And they have upgraded it through time to be what they thought the users wanted it to be. And they can't always maintain everything for everybody. Now, I understand Blizzard's making a ton of money. They, they could have done that. But you look at MMOs themselves. When you look back at people who want to go play the original version, like the vanilla version, as, as it has been called, mm -hmm. you cannot ever truly get the same experience you got the same time you played it during that time with MMOs. It's impossible. Like the attitude around it, the environment around it, you can simulate it to the best of your ability, uh, but you're not going to have like the, the same community within that patch or w within that environment or or the new discoveries that you find. And the same could be said for any game if you play it enough times, right? Because you're going to know where the things are. You're going to know what to, to do. Right. But the online environment is just so variable in terms of how you're approaching it. That the experiences back during those patches or those glitches before things were fixed, you're never going to be able to get those exact same moments. And I think that's what people are looking for when they're talking about preservation in a lot of situations is like, oh, I remember exactly this. But you're, there's no way to preserve games like MMOs anymore. Like we have an MMO we're going to be discussing later this year uh, with Ultima Online. That's going to be a very hard game to tackle because we can't physically go back to 1997, 98 when the game was at its peak. Like there's, there's no way to do that. No matter how well you preserve that game, you're not going to be able to do the same things that you did when that game was first released with MMOs. It's impossible for sure. And I, and I actually the complete converse of that argument, I was just thinking about it while you were talking was like, you say on one hand, it's like, oh, well, you know, what, what version of, this MMO, are we trying to preserve, right? Uh, what what actually matters and what doesn't? But then you think about, I mentioned day one patches. Even, even if, we are at a point now where even if you were preserving the physical copy of a game, you might be preserving a copy of a game that doesn't fucking work. Like, True. you know, like there are games that have been released on disc that, only work if you throw the disc into your console and then download like a six gigabyte patch. So like, are, how are you preserving that? Do you preserve it in its initial form? Do you get the day zero patch or whatever and like combine that together to create something that, you know, you consider to be the, the acceptable version of the game? Like there's just so much variability that's been introduced that I think after a certain point, 
in the history of games, the whole notion of we absolutely need to preserve all of this content for future posterity kind of just becomes unmanageable. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's move over to the digital storefronts as we're getting long winded on a lot of these things, <laughs> which is understandable because uh, I think this is a good conversation regardless. But uh, a lot of these storefronts that we've experienced over the years we have seen start to shut down. And I mm-hmm. think as Shane alluded to earlier, there's a very realistic viewpoint you have to hold when it comes to these things is these companies are not charities. They're just not going to keep these storefronts open for your entertainment. They need to be making money on these things. Now, I think various companies do it better than others. Um, We've already said Nintendo does it pretty poorly, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that later. Uh, But just talking about some storefronts, Tiger, what's your general view on some storefronts and and what do you think about them? And some of them that have shut down. I think... (laughs) I don't want to say it the way that I have it in my head. (laughs) It's like, I don't care. I don't care. Well, because, okay, so like right now we are in the, we are in the danger, danger, 3DS and Wii U, all that software is about to go bye-bye. So the best part about this is that Nintendo gave everyone about a year in advance. So everyone knows now, and that's probably a really good way to do it instead of how PS3 basically say, hey, we're going to take this bitch away from you. Uh, so now we're still going to have the same problem when the date occur- like comes. So afterwards, people are still going to say, you know, oh, I didn't know this game existed. Like, I wish I could play it. Um, if I only knew, I would have bought it. And I say to them, sucks for you like that's that's how i feel about it but uh, based tiger yeah but like but (laughs) of course this is a this is because of this much uh this much notice given to a storefront so like let's let's just take for example if like uh we if we weren't given that much notice about a storefront i think you know it it would suck like uh, like it does suck it would suck for like a lot of games that uh we would have wanted to play or maybe we intended to buy but just forgot about we got busy in life but i'm very like well there's so many other games to play so that's kind of like where my brain goes yeah i mean it's not like you had what 10 15 years to get a chance right to and you know and play the, those games there's right so much there's yeah. so much like the internet the internet existed and now there's so much to take in and you can only choose mm-hmm. what you can take in so you know we're we're not perfect <laughs> and uh, you well, know I we think can't the expect argument is kind of disingenuous anyway because like people will rant to no end about this stuff where it's just like oh you guys are, you're taking it away yeah. like, you, i didn't get a chance to play that and i'm <laughs> like okay but are you crying at like sega because you can't buy genesis cartridges anymore at fucking like sears no yes well okay you are maybe but <laughs> i'm kidding but i mean it's it's a valid it's it's a valid comparison you're basically saying the same thing where you're just like oh well this company is no longer offering this game to me and i am mad about that but no one has ever said like why the fuck isn't nintendo still manufacturing you know super nintendo cartridges like yeah it's the same thing so i guess i i guess i just don't get the difference at that point you know i think that the difference being that you know we're moving on to another generation and in this instance 
and you know, people don't think about the cost. And like you said, they just think about a file that is on a hard drive. So therefore, mm. it should last forever. I mean, sure. sure the The file will last forever somewhere. Doesn't mean right. it's available for you. For, right. But yeah. Right. Right. And I think people see it as like it's literally an on and off switch. So like they literally yeah. turned it off because they don't want our money. I think to Shane's surprise, I'm going to mostly agree with Tiger. I do have something to say about Microsoft currently, and this is not me saying, oh, I love Microsoft, but I am saying in terms of how they're handling it, they're handling it the best out of any storefront right now mm -hmm. because I, I can download Geometry Wars and I have to my Xbox Series X, which I downloaded two generations ago on my Xbox 360 and I can still play that game. So I purchased that game over 10 years ago now and I can still play that game today on my Xbox Series X on new hardware. And that's what I love about Steam too. And um, this is where I'm going to greatly separate myself from where I was when we talked about this seven years ago is that there is a comfort for corporations or, or companies, hardware developers, whatever you wanna call them, that allow you to purchase a game years ago and still be able to download that game in the future and be able to play that game. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Now, where I agree with Tiger, and this has mostly to do at my ire for retro video game collectors as part of loosely connected to that community myself, or maybe not so loosely anymore. I think I'm somewhat in that community. When Metroid Dread was announced, like Metroid Zero and Metroid Fusion on the market, their prices were insane. They were insane. They like went up to like $80, $90, $100 plus. They might still be there. I don't know. But they, they went crazy. And you saw people over the place being like, Nintendo, Nintendo, you need to put these on the Switch. It's not fair they're on the Switch. It's not fair they're not there. They need to be there because they cost a lot of money if I want to get them for the Game Boy Advance. Okay, well, one, you didn't buy them on the Game Boy Advance. You had the opportunity and you didn't buy them. Now, let's say you weren't old enough to buy them, okay? Um, they were on the Wii U. So you tell people they're on the Wii U and people say, well, fuck the Wii U. I didn't buy a Wii U. Yeah, exactly. You didn't buy a Wii U. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're, you're complaining about not being able to play a game that you want to play when opportunities were there for you to play the game and you didn't take them. And then when they completely remove these opportunities for you to play them, you bitch even more about the fact they're going away. When you never, ever took the time or the effort to try and play these games, you magically came up with an idea to play. And I get it. You weren't thinking about wanting to play these games until another game came out. You're like, wow, I'd really love to play these games. They should come out here. And in, in that sense, I, I kind of do feel for people. I really do. And I, I am more of the game preservationist angle that these games do need to be preserved somewhere for people to be act, to access Uh for just historical reasons, for educational purposes, whatever the case might be. But when you develop this attitude that these, these storefronts don't exist anymore and it's evil that they don't exist anymore, they're, they're not, they've, they've always been there for you to buy. And, and yes, I don't like the way Nintendo does it. I, like you said, they, if you buy super Mario brothers, if you bought it for the virtual console on the Wii, it doesn't mean anything today on the Switch. 
you you could have downloaded it for like a a nominal price for the Wii U because they did that deal like you could like upgrade it for twenty five cents, yeah. whatever the case might be for the virtual console. That that was a thing, but like it, you had an opportunity to buy them, and you neglected that opportunity, and it wasn't until you lost that opportunity that you began to care, and it, that that does bother me because when I finally like understood how to buy games on my Wii digitally or, or I like wanted to get into that. It was during the time that they announced it was closing down. I didn't have that opportunity because I was overseas. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't able to buy games. I wasn't able to get Castlevania Rebirth or Gradius Rebirth. And those are the only games I probably would even have any interest in getting. Um, but a lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe I missed out on this game. You willfully didn't buy a system that had it, and now you're upset that it's not available on all systems when that was that was one of the reasons that that company wanted you to buy that system. So I, I, I just that's how I that's why I agree with Tiger on this is it was there. You need to move forward in a sense, or you you can go back and play the games that were available that you got. I, I just feel like this situation that we're talking about is. The, like the real issue is wanting what we don't have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that's like the main issue. Well, I think that's one part of it, but the, the, the other side of the of the issue is hanging on to the things that you did actually pay for. Um yes. you know, when platforms or things like that go away, what what happens, right? Part of that, and, and I know that this is a pie in the sky thing that Maybe will never happen. Uh, we're we're kind of moving towards that, and I honestly, I I really hope that we keep going in this direction because I think it's the right one, and and that is having companies, you know, like Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, just having some sort of service, especially in an age where everything is online. We are all online all the time. Things are available all the time. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility for these companies to have a Netflix-like sort of service that perhaps is included with your, you know, uh, Xbox Gold or whatever the fuck they call it these days. (laughs) And, you know, where you just have access to either stream or download basically the company's entire back catalog up to a certain point, whatever they feel comfortable with. Maybe it's only up to two generations ago or whatever, but it's really not outside the realm of reason to think that that is something that can, and I think should happen. Um, I would be honestly, uh, I would be more than happy to pay some sort of like monthly or yearly subscription if I knew that I could get access to quite literally everything that was available on like every PlayStation ever in one convenient place. Because like, can I emulate pretty reliably um, PlayStation games? Yeah, PS2 is still kind of rough, but like having all those things together in one spot that I knew just worked, um, I'd be more than happy to do that. Um, but I think it's still a little time to get there. But when you're talking about stuff that you've already purchased, and this is where I was started to go when I was talking about my my Steam library, which is for the games that I've already played and completed, on some level, I kind of don't care. Like if I were to lose all those games that I've already played through and finished, I, I, I'd probably be a little irked because I'm like, oh, you know, I did pay for those. But I also 
kind of just wouldn't really care that much. I'm like, well, I got what I wanted out of it. You know, I there was a transaction. I paid for the game. I played and completed the game. I experienced the thing and I'm done with it. Now, the rest of the two or three hundred other games yeah. that are still sitting in my backlog that I have not played yet. Those are a little different, of course, because I paid money for them and have not actually played them. So to me, that's something it's like, OK, well, how do I what are we going to do about that? And Steam, at the very least, has been on record for quite some time regarding this, that if the Steam service were to ever go away, they would make all of those games available for users to basically download. So if it was like, oh shit, like Valve's bankrupt. I don't know. Gabe took all the money and went to Havana. I don't know. Like (laughs) you'd be able to go and say like, okay, well, Steam knows which games you bought. So fucking you can go ahead and download all of them now. And that's kind of been their stance as far as I recall. Um, I can't say the same for every single digital storefront because I'm sure not all of them are the same. But I guess like, is that is that a good enough solution? Like, is that satisfactory to people? I don't know. Assuming they hold to that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. Well, and I think Steam especially, they've said, you know, that really you're you can think about it however you want. Of course, we all like to think of it as like we we have purchased a game. We have bought and we now own that game. But if you actually read the terms of service, like (laughs) you don't own shit. Right. Like you basically are like long-term renting that from them. True. All right. Are we ready to get into our final thoughts? Do you want to talk about like the always online Gran Turismo 3 Diablo shit? The only thing that we have not mentioned in regards to physical versus digital Mm. is, and one of the huge reasons why I still buy physical specifically on the Switch is because I can resell the game. (laughs) So well, yes, yeah. yeah. If I if I pay fifty dollars for a game, and I want to get another game, you know, some people will just go to GameStop and you know trade it in, whatever. You do that and ruin the value and stuff. Anywho, uh, <laughs> if I want to sell said game for you know to get some money back to buy another game, I can. And I I do feel like I'm the, I'm in the minority in this, but that is definitely a benefit and. Uh, that 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 you cannot do with digital games. You buy the digital game; it's on your console. So, I mean, the biggest the biggest uh, advantage, which I come to realize much later in my life, uh, is that it's always there. So I can just switch, uh, uh, pun in, no pun intended, switch back and forth to whatever games <laughs> I want anytime I want to. And the convenience of that, uh, honestly, I can definitely feel it being worth it. But. Uh, Definitely some value in being able to have a physical game and being able to like trade it off to someone else for for more games or or to sell it. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I mean, when we when we moved recently, you know, I went through and did a big purge of all of my physical stuff that I still had and went down to uh, one of the local game stores. And after trading in everything I had, um, I think I've got just a little over $200 in store credit sitting there. So like whenever I want to go and get another game, I can totally do that. So I can see it. Um, I just think in most cases at this point, like I'm, I'm okay with just having 
just having the transaction occur, just saying like, all right, I, I bought this game. I will, I will play it and then I'm done with it. And, and, and that's it. Like, I'm okay with it, especially with how often on digital platforms specifically, uh, sales occur. Now this is mostly excluding Nintendo (laughs) because (laughs) even when they do have a sale, they, they're like, Oh my God, we're having a huge sale. And it's like, 5% 5% off Mario. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> That's the lowest That's price ever. What do you mean? Yeah, it's just, oh, it's an all-time low. Yeah, because it's usually just $60 all the time, forever. Um, but with things like, you know, Steam or, or whatever, you know, the sales are just so constant that you can pick up most games for cheap if you're patient enough. So I don't know. I guess it doesn't really bother me that much. But I can see your point of view on that for sure. And I definitely, seeing the Steam sales and how cheap they are, oh, definitely. Like, you see me, but back in the day, I used to buy PS1 games by loads because there were like $2.99, $3.99 sales on the PSN store. So, yeah. definitely feel oh, that. Same. same. Yeah. But that's 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 more to the point that you were kind of talking about, Tigers, like the, being able to buy those physical games. And to your point as well, Shane, because sometimes these games, especially more in the modern eras, like everything has had a digital release on top of a physical release. Sometimes after a year or two, you'll see a lot of these physical games go beneath the digital game's value. And that's that's always bothered me, and it still does, that a digital game selling for more than what the physical game is does not entice me to get the digital version at all because now I have a physical version something I that's tactile that I can hold on to for cheaper than something that is in the cloud so to speak or on a hard drive the the physical version is is much more attractive and things being digitally online there's like there's no real purpose to degrade the price if it's still selling now same thing with physical versions like like we said with nintendo the, the whole still holds for like physical versions of games they never really go down in price but the thing is with physical versions they can keep getting recycled and recycled and it's very common that price of that physical game is going to go down the only reason that a digital game will go down is if there's just lack of interest and they're trying to jack the sales up or they can just say like okay we're just going to hold this at 15 dollars, whereas a physical game can potentially go lower so i I, I do think that in that aspect, physical has an advantage because there is the potential for it to become lower. But then much down the line, you can make the same argument you see with a lot of 3DS games right now with the store going um, with the store going down is you see these physical releases of 3DS games that are getting up to like $100, $150, whereas the digital releases are $40, even though you know they've been out for years. So the, the, that is a concern in, in terms of the collecting scene, which is just atrocious and horrendous anyway, and maybe we can have an episode about that one day, which would just be Shane asking questions. Invite um, me. Yes. Because he's not crazy like me. <laughs> but, Explain um, to me your ways. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that's never something you're going to be able to erase. And, of course, you know, publishers are going to be able to exploit that rarity by saying, oh, you want to play Radiant Historia, on your 3ds well if you want a physical copy we know it's going to cost you 150 dollars. but if you want this digital one it's only 25 yeah i mean i just yeah i mean i guess at the end of the day it's just um it feels it it, it honestly feels real cynical and it, it's probably because it is but i think the the viewpoint that tiger has shared and that i pretty much all wholeheartedly agree with is that why who's gonna care that much like at some point you know like did i okay here's a good example 
Uh, did I like Hellgate London when it came out? Sure. I played it with a couple of my friends. We had a really great time. The game was janky as fuck and like objectively needed a lot of work. Um, but did we enjoy it? Yes. Was I sad when that game studio shuttered and they turned the servers off because that game did not perform at all like they thought it was going to? Uh, yes. But who at the end of the day, who cares? Like is if someone's going to be like, man, I, I wish I could have played Hellgate London back when it first came out and I wish I could go back and play it now, but there's no way because no one's running the servers or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, let me introduce you to the 80 billion games that are available right now. Perhaps you can pick something <laughs> else, you know, like I just, it's hard for me to see the importance, like, in, unless there are some you know, particularly standout things that's like, my God, every person should experience this game at least once in their lifetime because it's a fucking religious experience or something. Clive like, Barker's Undying. Yes, exactly. Yeah, especially <laughs> Clive Barker's Undying. Um, like, outside of that, I just, I, I guess I have a hard time with it. Like, it's just go play something else. There's so many other things. <laughs> Like, there are things that I'm sad I missed out on, but also I got a fucking Steam backlog that I'm going to bequeath to my children because I'm not going to be able to finish them all. So who cares? Every time we say who cares, I envision like a listener like yelling, I care! I care! Oh, oh, I know. There's definitely. Can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Someone's so angry. (laughs) So I I guess this is time to go into our final thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're terrible gamers now. Um, <laughs> we don't care. Okay, so I, I think this is a good time to get into our final thoughts as to whether or not we are going to face a digital dystopia. Is it that pessimistic? Are we looking at a future where everything sucks? And I know we didn't cover everything. I know you're probably saying, we didn't talk about servers going down and not being able to play games. Uh, no, we didn't because uh, it's been two hours and <laughs> who's ever editing this episode is going to hate life. Mm. So, um, <laughs> yes. So... Here, here's I'll start off with the final thoughts. We'll let Tiger close it out because, again, you know, welcome back. Thank you. We we talk about the digital dystopia and being able to lose games forever once they're on a server and they're erased. But I don't think we talk enough about the physical media dystopia that Shane alluded to earlier. In my collection, I have a copy of Panzer Dragoon Saga. This is a very expensive game for the Sega Saturn. Cha-ching. This is not me bragging. This is me telling you about what physical media can mean if these things are never put on a digital storefront, which is the source code to Panzer Dragoon Saga is gone forever, which means if you do not have a physical copy of that game, you will not be able to play that game unless you find some way to download an ISO uh, or emulation through an ODE or whatever the case might be. So once again, emulation is here to save the day. It's not an official storefront. It's nothing like that, but it is digital gaming. In that sense, digital gaming is saving gaming because if there was no digital ability to play your games, once all the physical copies of Panzer Dragoon Saga are gone, that game would be gone forever. There are games in my collection on my PS1 that will play for the most part, but then they'll get to a certain point and they'll skip the disc and they won't play anymore because there might be a nick on the top of the disc. So that data is erased. And there's no way to recover that other than playing another game unless I emulate it which goes back to digital gaming. Digital gaming on a lot of these systems isn't perfect. The Nintendo system shows that 
there's a lot of improvements that companies can make in order to honor the purchases that gamers are making on their systems and they're carrying it forward. We're seeing examples on Microsoft's game store uh, with uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate or whatever the case might be or with their Xbox Series X and their online subscription model which seem to be addressing a lot of those concerns. The PS5 is doing it with the PS4. Everything you bought on the PS4, you can play on the PS5. PS3, not so much, uh, which kind of sucks. But they're working on it. Steam, you can play games that you bought 10 years ago because that system is still up. Are these systems infallible? Will they last forever? Probably not. There's always going to be a competitor that comes along and does it. But this isn't much different than anything we've ever seen with physical media. I used to rail against digital media and I said it was the bane of our existence and the bane of the future and physical media is the only way to go and the only way to really preserve it. I was wrong. Digital media is the way that games need to be moving forward into the future. We need to do a better job of honoring the purchases that people have made. However, if you don't get a game, just like in physical media, you may never be able to retrieve it. Maybe because of cost, maybe because you just can't find it. Maybe because people are hoarding it or maybe because it's destroyed. It's the same game. It's the same way it's always been. You're not going to be able to buy new copies of old games on storefronts unless it's a very special limited release for a niche market for physical games. It's not that different. So are we in a digital dystopia? Perhaps in some instances, but it's always been that way. We're not. It's gaming is better than it's ever been. It's going to get better in the future. And new games will always be there. And there's going to be a glut of content. And maybe you might not be able to get exactly what you want, but you're going to be able to find something that you do. And you're, be able to, you're going to be able to make new memories with the things that come out moving forward. So no, it's not a dystopia. There's always going to be something accessible for you. And it's going to be okay, even though there are dark times that we hype up all the time. And that's my final thoughts. Shane? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'd probably echo a lot of the same sentiments. Um, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that I'm sure someone would probably catch the 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 point here that we as a retro game show mm-hmm. are ultimately saying, well, if games get lost, who the fuck cares? Because at some point <laughs> that might be self-defeating, right? We we might reach a point where it's like well, we'd really like to talk about that game for the show, but uh, its servers shut down and nobody's got the source, so it's just, it's fucking gone. Um, yep. And you know what? That's valid. Uh, but also, they're assuming we ever get through the massive back catalog of games that were released for just consoles or, or even PCs prior to the proliferation of digital distribution, which in and of itself would be a feat, first of all, um, then you know what? Maybe that's that is a reality that we would have to face. But I would say even with that, um, there are still so many games, and you know what? There are still people out there that are that are doing doing good work to preserve a lot of these titles. Um, things that people care about, that they want to make sure other people can experience and enjoy. And I, I don't begrudge those people. I'm, I'm happy they're doing it. And that is absolutely going to be a label of labor of love for them because otherwise, why would you do it? Um, so yeah, there's, there's so much, even in the, the history of gaming 
that is already still available and for all intents and purposes will continue to be available that um, I, I just don't see it as much of an issue. Like, yes, there will be things that are lost and some of those things will probably be a bummer. But to Chris's point, we we live in a time where we have just so much available that I, I can't really stop to like shed a tear over, you know, the random mobile game that nobody will ever get to play again or the MMO that shut down that now people aren't going to be able to play unless someone takes the time to set up a private server and figure out all that bullshit to get it working because there's just so much else for you to explore. There, there's so many other games to experience um, and and fun to be had that it, it's it's almost it's almost an exercise in futility to try to you know stop and and mourn every single you know game that's going to get lost in in the digital ether. Um, and, and you know as long as as long as companies start to do better at honoring those purchases that people have made, as Chris mentioned, then I think things will get better. And if we get to a point where we do have those back catalogs more readily available for people to play um, in whatever form that takes, then I think we'll be in a pretty good place. Um, so is it a dystopia? Um, you know, usually I'm the, I'm the overly cynical one. And even I've got to say, no, I, I don't think so. Like when my biggest complaint is I have too many games to play, like I, I that's, I think we're in an okay spot, you know? <laughs> Um, so I don't know, Tiger, what, what do you think about this whole thing? Man, y'all make, y'all making me look bad. Y'all, y'all had some good final thoughts there. I just want to say, <laughs> I don't know. Mine's going to be as long and drawn or long and long and well thought out as y'all. So no, I heard drawn out. You. Yeah, That's not fine, drawn. Man. I didn't mean to say that. Ooh, uh, <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> Anywho. All right. So here, here, here's what I got on my mind. Uh, my PS3 has like 400 games. My Xbox probably has around 2 to 300. My Steam has about 500. I you know, let's look at Origin, UB Play, uh Epic Game Store, all the free the, all the free games that I've got on there. I I used to be a Humble Store member, uh Humble Bundle I used to do those monthly bundles, and so I probably have hundreds of games on there. Uh, a lot of them DRM-free. Uh, Nintendo, uh, I, I haven't even gotten to, like, you know, five, six other systems that I have with digital games, probably. I'm just throwing a number out there. I have digital games everywhere. Um, I, have, I have already been bitten by the digital game bug. Like, we, we are in it. It's it's not even at its peak because we are still waiting on uh, that that you know I guess Game Pass kind of really hit it but you know hurry up Sony what's going on they're doing their uh, their new PlayStation Plus service so that's to come Nintendo has their uh, online service you know and people have negativity towards it so but they have the the NES the Super NES the Genesis the N sixty four uh, it seems like they're going in a direction which is to provide some sort of Netflixy type thing uh, for games. 
this is all a super awesome thing. This is all great. This is, you know, in, in my 38 years of being on this earth, I can, I have the most games that I have ever had in my life. And to, to what Shane said, I'll not play all of them. I won't, I probably won't even play 20, like 80% of them. I, 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 I long to have a goal to, to at least play 20% of the games that I own. <laughs> I don't really see anything bad happening. Like the, the worst that you can say is that you lose storefront purchases. And that is on the, you know, by the choice of the company. So if you have a problem with a game that is no longer downloadable and you really want to play this game, you know, one, you better hope there's enough demand <laughs> or at least help to create the demand. And then you ask the company to, you know, reach out uh, to the creator or if they have the game uh, to re-release the game. Like this, there have been successful uh, pushes to have games re-released um, in regards to preservation I do think I say more power to people that really want to uh, pres preserve games. Uh, I do think that we don't need to preserve every single game <laughs> in the world. Uh, although I do think that we should have some pretty badass video game museums in the future. Hell, that might be our new nursing homes. Who knows? <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but anywho, uh, so I, I don't keep rambling on. I just want to close digital gaming is not a dystopia at all. I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's just only going to get better. We haven't reached our peak. <laughs> I don't know if we ever will. I think it's just going to get better and better, hopefully, uh, as I generally am optimistic. Uh, <laughs> I think this is a good way to end. But if not, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Tiger's point is uh, digital games are like crypto. They just go burr. And just continue going up forever. <laughs> to the moon, baby. Uh, well, I guess um, that that brings our discussion of digital games to a close. So I think it was a, a pretty thorough one. We've run a little bit longer than we typically do. But I think there was a lot of ground to cover here. So um, I, I think we did a pretty decent job. Uh, but uh, first and foremost, I would like to thank our illustrious Nintendo host Tiger for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure to have you here. I'm always happy to be here. And even though sometimes I worry that I'm not ready, I always have a good time. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that ultimately that is what is most important. We, we, we like to have a good time here. And as far as we're concerned, Hey, uh, if you're listening to this, then, Hey, I guess that means you found us. So hi, uh, we're glad that you're here. And, uh, you know, if you want to engage with the show in some other ways, besides uh, simply just allowing it to pass into your ear holes, then you can do that. And not only that, we make it easy for you. So all you have to do is head over to Linktree slash Retro Hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Retro Hangover. And you will be presented with a finely curated menu of buttons. And these buttons will bring you to a myriad of places, as long as they are related to us. So if you'd like to check out our socials, they're there. If you want to get into our public Discord and come hang out with us and the rest of our community, you can do that too. 
Do you want to buy a sweet shirt? You can do that. Would you like to become a patron? You can definitely do that. I don't necessarily recommend it. I think that's crazy, but if you're going to do it, I'm not going to stop you. So that is an option. You can also go to our YouTube channel. And if you want to see things more like live and in person, then you can even go to Twitch, which Chris is going to tell you more about. So if you go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover, you can stop by there and see us play games sometimes horribly often and sometimes well. And uh, we just play like games we want to. So I have been playing Lunar Eternal Blue, which hopefully one day I will defeat on the stream. And I look forward to that. Or you can see Shane play something relevant and pertinent and probably something that would make us far more successful at streaming. In any case, that is <laughs> twitch.tv slash retro hangover and head over there and chill with us. We always have fantastic conversations with the people who show up there, uh, especially when we played Zork. That was a great time. Yeah, I was going to say, you're all like, ah, oh, Shane plays relevant stuff that people like. And I'm like, dude, I played Zork. What are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess with all of that being said, until next time. Play with your I can't believe they took it off the market joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part, no added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.